We're going to, don't feel like you're missing out if you're not going down to youth, they're looking at Nehemiah, so are we. So if you've got a Bible with you, do turn to Nehemiah 2, that's uh, where we're going to be today. Um, I just felt to speak on um, going in mission and service. It's part of, uh, part of our vision here at King's, isn't it, to make disciples who go in mission and service and to have a look at what that looks like both here uh, in Norwich and beyond. Um, just to remind us, there's, there's some prophetic wo- words over you as a church um, that I think are going to speak into this. Um, uh, Keith Hazel prophesied in 2012, there are arrows that are going to go out from this house and you're going to bend the bow and release arrows and you're going to point to the north, south, east and west. There are arrows that are going to go out and find targets. These arrows represent people, they represent teams. There's a time when God is going to send forth arrows out of his house. Uh, when we uh, were sent to Beckles a couple of years ago, Morris preached. And uh, if you're there, you might remember he talked about Coleman's mustard. He says he travels the world a lot. And wherever he goes, uh, he always finds one thing from Norwich, and that's Coleman's mustard, wherever you go. And the, there would be a flavor of kings here that would go out into other places, north, south, east, and west where people would encounter the flavor of kings, just like you can go to wherever in the world and experience the flavor of Coleman's mustard. Um, so I trust that what I share today will be helpful as we think about what it means, what are some of the dynamics at play when we think about going in mission and service? What, what are some of the dynamics at play? And think about how that helps us to make disciples who go in mission and service. Um, and to help me, I've just brought a bit of a prop here. Um, not long ago, I was explaining to uh, my son Sebastian that before he was born, I sanded a set of drawers that's in his room, and it was that kind of orangey pine colour, which was not my wife's preference. So I borrowed a sander and sanded it down so it's this lovely kind of pine colour. And I was explaining this to him, I sanded it all, and he's really into DIY stuff, which is really inconvenient because I'm useless at it. And uh, he's like getting all excited about it. So I said, Dad, you can get a sander and you sand it down. Yeah, I was like, yes. I was like, yeah, and I did it to the drawers in your bedroom. And he's like, I was like, and I've got to do it to the drawers in my bedroom, this set of drawers. He's like, oh, do you? Oh, that's ex- We could do that, Dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could. He gets all excited about it. Suddenly, Sebs has got this glimpse of this restoration project on this set of drawers, of restoring it so it looks this beautiful pine colour rather than the kind of orangey colour um, before. And uh, that kind of happens in this passage that we're going to have a look at. Nehemiah has got a glimpse of God's restoration plans. And Sebs, when he saw this glimpse of this restoration project, he got all consumed by it. It was all he could think about. It's, Dad, we don't have to go out on the field and after school and play football. We could, we could do sanding. We don't have to, at weekends, we don't have to have fun anymore. We could, we could just do sanding, Dad. And everything is about this sanding project, this restoration project. It's consuming his vision. And Nehemiah had been consumed with a vision for something. He'd heard news of the walls and the gates in Jerusalem being burned and being in ruin. And he caught a glimpse of God's restoration project. And it set course for the direction of his life. Um, And he got caught up in it. And Nehemiah points us to Jesus, who is the restoration man. Who has a much grander building project on the go. Jesus has said, I will build my church. That's Jesus' big building project that he's drawn us into. And uh, as we look at Nehemiah, um, God wants us to be consumed with his restoration project for his church. 
as we pray and go in mission and service. So should we have a look at the passage? Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 10. It like this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, uh, which wouldn't have been a good thing. There's a festival going on, and it's kind of ruining the party. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but the sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. Kings could be pretty brutal. This could be the end of the line for Nehemiah. And uh, he says, I'm very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. And let me live a little bit longer. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, help. (laughs) And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servants found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? Not wanting him to be gone too long as, a, um, as an official in his court. So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, pushing his luck now, let letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I'll occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, back up. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard this, servant heard this, it pleased, displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So, five dynamics of praying and then going in mission and service. The first is that strength uh, comes. Strength comes. When, I, when Seb's got a glimpse of this uh, project um, that's way beyond, really, what a four-year-old should have been doing, he got all excited about it. He was like, I can do it, Dad. I can do the sanding. This sense of confidence. And Nehemiah gets this sense of confidence in the passage to ask, send me to Judah, but where does he get it from? tells us in verse 4 that he shoots off this bullet prayer to the God of heaven. He sees this, gets this glimpse of this restoration project that looks huge, and he's got to ask the king, who might kill him, it feels like a big task, he quickly redirects his attention, his perspective on the God of heaven, God of heaven. And it happens throughout Nehemiah that he says things like, the great and awesome God. Whenever Nehemiah is faced with this huge project that could, uh, could be upset, it could be overwhelming, could feel like too much, he quickly flicks his attention in prayer. Um, he'd been praying before this passage for four months, mourning and praying the situation in Jerusalem. He flicks his attention constantly get to regain perspective by seeing the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He doesn't stay upset, anxious, overwhelmed, intimidated, but he prays. And strength comes. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. (laughs) Nehemiah had been mourning, and they prayed, and he was comforted. And uh, I've got good authority from God for that second part of comfort. It comes from the same root as fortitude. That to be comforted is to be strengthened for the task ahead. 
And so the bigger God is in our eyes, the smaller the problem will seem. The bigger God is in our eyes, the greater confidence we'll have as we go in mission and service. And that's why when we gather, we sing, don't we? We worship because we want to get in perspective that God, uh, who he is, and his greatness. We want to bring the greatness of God into focus before we set about the greatness of the task of restoration. So that's the first thing. Strength comes. The second thing when we go in mission and service is that fear flees. Um, Seb started sanding this, and if you've ever held a sander, it's really quite shaky, isn't it? And uh, he was like, whoa. <laughs> but he's like, no, Dad, no, Dad, I can do it. And you might think that I did it. Actually, he, come to people, show people your project, have you? Um, he actually did this. He got, got, he was scared at first, kind of a shaky hand, but eventually he got strong, didn't you? He got confident. The fear fleed and courage came, and he managed to complete or um, sand down the top of it. This happens in the passage here. Verse 2, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. And then verse 5, he makes the big ask, send me to Judah. Because prayer followed by action overcomes fear. And you notice at verse 10, at the end of the passage, it talks about, um, there's a warning, isn't there? That, and there's an enemy who isn't happy about Nehemiah going on mission. And when we step out in mission and service, there's an enemy who doesn't want us to achieve what the Lord has called us to, isn't there? There's one who wants to weigh us down. He wants to get our heads down. He wants to overwhelm us and make us feel like we need to give up. And uh, Jess kind of alluded it to, uh, to it a minute ago that we've often had moments where you just, your head feels down, you feel overwhelmed, you just feel like you want to give up. I'm sure Toby could recount many a story of when we've been on Zoom and having those types of conversations. But even though your hands may shake, when you step out in prayer and action, in mission and service, fear flees and courage comes. So if we're in a situation like Nehemiah, where we're involved in going in mission and service, and we feel like the fear is closing in, and it's going to paralyze us and kind of stop us from doing the thing that the Lord has called us to, then remind ourselves of this verse that Ben read earlier, actually. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, little old you and I can come before the king of the universe and get a good reception. We can find a mercy we can receive grace from him in a time of need. When we're stepping out in a family situation or in the workplace or in a church venture, we need the grace of God in that moment of need. And he will supply. Because God is the one who sends us, isn't he? He's the one who calls us. He's the one who sends us. It's his mission. It's his initiation. And he will give us and provide us with everything that we need to complete the task. And sustain us for it. So that's the second. Fear flees. The third is, the third is, honour is upheld. Seb's got a huge amount of pride. When we started this project, it's like, oh, this is something I can do with Dad, wasn't it? This is something I can do with Dad. He's really proud about it. Me and Dad, we're going to do this restoration project. We're going to sand the set of drawers. 
Uh, and in verses 3 and 5, if you have a look, Nehemiah uses this same unusual phrase, the city and place of my father's graves. See, Nehemiah was concerned about the honor of his family. He was concerned about the honor of his ancestors, of the people of God, of Israel, of his family. And when we became Christians, we became part of a wonderful family, didn't we? God joined us into his family with an amazing history and a glorious future. We're part of the same family as Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of Moses and Ruth, of David and Solomon. Part of the same family as Augustine and Aquinas, Luther and Calvin, of Wesley and Tyndale, of Jim Elliot and James Fraser, of Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael, of Billy Graham and Jackie Pullinger. That's our family history, isn't it? Name after name, and these are just the ones that we know of, who have laid down their lives and given their lives up for the family's honour, for the building of the city that reveals the glory of God, for the building of the church which reveals the goodness and love of God. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, he's talking about Jesus, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And I'd never noticed this bit, verse 7. So the honour is for you who believe. Sometimes you catch a glimpse of God's restoration project, don't you? And it begins with this kind of period of mourning. Actually, things can't go on the way that they are. It can't, it can't be like this. There are people who don't know and enjoy the goodness of God. They don't know that there's a loving Heavenly Father who cares for them deeply and who is inviting them to be part of his family, who wants to have his hand upon their life and care for them all the way through every trial and turn. And when I was on that sofa and the Holy Spirit came, I, to be honest, one of the things we used to say to each other, actually me and Mike used to say it to all the time when people would go, why would you ever go? <laughs> why would you do it? Why would you put yourself through that? It's really good here. I used to say that to Mike, why would you bother going? Look at what we've got here. So good. But sometimes God apprehends you for something, doesn't he? And you haven't really almost got, yeah, you have got a choice about it. But you almost haven't because God's kind of woken you up to something. He's saying, it can't go on like this out there. And he burdens you with a sense of um, going in mission service somewhere else. The honour of God and his family matters. It matters in places like Pouring Land. It matters in Long Stratton. It matters in Watton, in Beckles, in Bungie, in Halesworth. That's part of the restoration project, is the honour of God and Jesus Christ and his family through the earth. The fourth thing is plans unfold. As soon as Seb's got an idea of this, he was like, Dad, we could get more of this orange pine furniture and we could sand even more of it, Dad. We could like we could build a business, Dad. We could buy it off marketplace and gumtree and we could sand it down and we could sell it off and we could make pennies. <laughs> There's a whole family business going on now. Plans start to unfold in his mind. The same happens in the passage here, verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah gets clarity about his plans for restoration, and the way forward becomes clear. He gets letters to allow him to pass. He's resourced with timber for the gates of the temple and his house in the city, officers to accompany him to ensure clear passage. When when we got sent a couple of years ago, 
We were carrying this with us, kind of make disciples who gather, grow, and go. Um, but we didn't really know much about plans. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know how we were going to live there. Mile cross to Beckles is not exactly a sideways move. And we didn't, we, there was so much ahead of us that we didn't have a clue about. But as we stepped forward into it, God started to unfold his plans and make it possible where it seemed like it wouldn't be. It's the same for us as a church, as I was mentioning earlier. We didn't really have an idea of, well, we had some idea of, oh, we might do this and that in New Life in Beckles. But these prophetic words have come and it started to pave the way. God started to unfold his plans for his church in Beckles. And it's an amazing thing. But when you feel a sense of calling for God, it's calling you to go in mission and service, don't get tied up in thinking about having your ducks in a row before you go. Don't, don't wait until everything's in place to step out. Because God unfolds his plans as we step out in faith. And final thing. Uh, authority and assurance are given. Uh, I said to Seb's, fine, let's do the project. <laughs> After, you know, come on, Dad. Okay. Authority given, let's do it. Here's the sander, plug it in, go for it, my boy. And this is what he did, with a little bit of help here and there. And assurance comes. You see this in the passage. End of verse 8. The king granted me what I asked, um, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Authority given, the king granted. Assurance brought, the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah heard the news, caught a glimpse of God's restoration plans, and then he gets authority granted to him to do it. And his requests are granted and assurance is given. And so this is what happens, isn't it? As we step out in faith, God starts to make things happen. And when you start out, you're like, <laughs> honestly... So many times on this journey, we've been like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Even now, some of the things that God, that we felt God has spoken to us, we are a little bit of a loss about how that is actually going to happen. You know, to make an impact in the community, you need people with energy and leaders and so on. And we're kind of, I think it's fair to say we're a church of the older generation, which is great because that's some really good things about that. But when you're thinking about energy for community impact and running projects and so on, you kind of think, oh, where's that going to come from? But God grants authority and assurance. The good hand of my God is upon you. And we're kind of seeing that, with Jess was sharing just today, witness in the life of the church, I think it's fair to say, was, was not a strong point. So we just thought, let's just start praying for people to come to know Jesus and be baptised. And we baptised three people. Well, you should hear their stories. They, nobody told them about Jesus from our church anyway. One, one of them, <laughs> I'll tell, I've got time to tell a couple. Um, one of them, he was sat in, a, in the uh, skate park at Beckles. His non-Christian friend was reading the Bible to, to him and telling him about the Bible. He felt the Holy Spirit fall upon him. He said he felt this incredible experience of peace and joy that he'd never felt before. Knew it must be God went on YouTube, listened to the gospel, became a Christian. And the reason we bumped into him was because he felt a God say to him, go and speak to that man over there and tell him about Jesus. So he did, and it turned out to be one of the leaders in our church. <laughs> so we baptized him. Yeah, isn't that cool? And then one of the other ladies, Sarah, she got baptized in September. 
she just felt one day walking past the church, I need to go in there and confess everything that I've done to God and ask him for forgiveness. She went in there, was in for a couple of hours, listened to us on YouTube because it was during the lockdown, and then just sent a message saying, I really need some help with my journey with God. Will somebody help me know what it means to follow God? And so people have been meeting up with her and she got baptized the other day. We haven't done anything except prayed. The good hand of God is upon us, isn't he? He's upon us here at King's as we go in mission and service. He's upon us at New Life in Beckles as we fire arrows out as well. Uh, Peter puts it like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you would go in mission and service. So as Ben and the band, if you guys want to come back up just as we finish, there was uh, three things I felt maybe in response. The first was that some of you, um, in the next chapter, or no, in the same chapter a bit later on, Nehemiah goes and inspects the walls of Jerusalem. I felt like God was saying to some of us, that you need to come and inspect the walls in Beckles. Just, you're not committing to anything. Just, just come and have a look around. Just inspect the walls. Just come and see what church life is like. Take a lovely walk around the quayside. Visit one of the coffee shops and the cakes there. Um, you know, just get a feel for the place. And uh, come and inspect the walls. See, see what God might say to you. It might not be that you come, but then God might just have a purpose in it. Uh, secondly, I felt that maybe this was a prophetic picture for some of us. Uh, the reason we haven't got the drawers in is because we haven't completed it. You kind of got going in mission and service, but something's kind of got stuck, and the project's kind of ground to a halt, which this one has, by the way. It's been sat like that in our living room for about five weeks now, waiting for us to finish the front of the drawers. And maybe there's some of us who've got going, but something's just blocked us, just got in the way, stopped us from getting on with the thing that God has called us to. And God wants to encourage you to lift your head up to the God of heaven, to the great and awesome God. Get your perspective on him. Get, get a vision of his greatness so that you can just see how small the problem is for him. And then third, uh, just maybe that there were some of us who've maybe been visiting kings for a while, You've just been coming here on a Sunday, getting a feel for things. But God wants to call us into being part of the building project. And so maybe that's you. And I felt God wanted to say to you, if, don't hang on the edges anymore. Come and speak to one of the guys. Maybe come along. Do you still do Connect? Is that a thing? Come along to Connect and find out about how you can get stuck in and be part of the rebuilding and the restoration project that Jesus is doing here in his church at King's. Is that all right? Should we stand and get ready to respond in worship? Father God, we thank you that as we go in mission and service here in Kings and in Norwich and beyond, that you're with us, your, hand is, your good hand is upon us. We thank you that we, when we come to you in our time of need, we thank you that we receive mercy and grace for every moment and every challenge. Because, Lord, it's your mission that we're on. You're the one who has started it. You're the one who has initiated it. 
you're the one who has given us a glimpse of your restoration project. You're the one who's told us in Revelation there's a glorious bride in the future, a people made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue who will worship at your throne. We thank you that you've given us that glimpse, and we pray that you would give us everything we need to see it happen here and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.